This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. This time, one year ago, we were talking about the vision that God had for Church of the Harvest. And our vision that I expressed last January was to make, everybody say make, make. grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life, to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus. Guys, that should be all of our goal. That should be what we live for, to make, to grow, and equip followers of Jesus, to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And last year, I gave you three things, three pillars that we were going to focus on in accomplishing that vision. And that was pursuing community, pursuing discipleship, and pursuing outreach. And so as we were looking at that, we went through last year, we began pursuing those things. But this year, I felt like the Lord was leading in a little bit new direction. And I told you guys two weeks ago that I felt like this year, the Lord told me that this year would be the year of the Word. Everybody say, the Word. word. Guys, the Word is of the utmost importance in our lives. I'm going to put up the stats again. I put this up the last two weeks in a row. I'm going to put it up again. I don't know if I had it in the notes. To, yeah, there it is. Stud, a recent study found that when people engage in the Word of God at least four times a week, four times, Feelings of loneliness drop 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. How many of you have been there? It drops 60% when you're engaged in the Word four times a week or more. Viewing pornography drops 62%. Sharing the gospel increased 200%. If we're going to be Church of the Harvest, everybody say Church of the Harvest. If we're going to be church of the harvest, seems to me that we need to get in God's word. Lastly, discipling others increased 230% in those who engage in the word of God four times a week or more. You're dealing with loneliness? You're dealing with anger or bitterness? What is it you're struggling with? Looks to me like if you would engage in the word of God a little bit more, that you would begin to see resolution with those issues. Because the word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. There's nothing more powerful. It's the Word of God that brings us life. The Word of God is our blueprints for living. The Word of God is our instruction manual. The Word of God is the standard by which everything in this life is measured. It is the standard. I told you guys, I've said the last couple weeks, trying to live the Christian life without the Word is like trying to build a house without any plans. You may end up with something, but it's going to be a dilapidated mess. How many of you, your life has been a dilapidated mess at some point or another? but God. Amen? 2020 is going to be the year that is Church of the Harvest that we engage in the Word of God like never before. And that's when I introduce to you this book, The Story. Many of you said, I'd like to understand the Bible better than I ever have. Well, guess what we're going to do? We are going to make a point of giving you the tools needed to understand the Word of God. I introduced this two weeks ago, a book that we're going to get into that Sean was talking about, available out in the connection desk. Let's take that off the screen. I'm not ready to weep yet. Um, We're going to jump into the story. Uh, It is a 31-chapter abridged version of the Word of God in the New International Version. How many of you can read 31 chapters? Come on. And what I'm believing is it's going to begin to stir your heart for the Word of God again. You're going to begin to hunger for it. And by the time you get through that 34th chapter, you're going to be hungry for more, and you're not going to be willing to stop. How many of you are ready? I gave you two things. Week one, I told you the Word of God is like a mural. 
that tells a single story. So there's a whole lot to the Word. If you've ever dug into the Word of God before, there's a lot to it, but it tells a single story. And if we can grasp that single story, number two, once you see the story, it will change your life. Once you see the story, it will change your life. I told you last week, the American average family owns four Bibles. Whether they're Christian or not, the average American family owns four Bibles. Maybe it's a family Bible, been sitting, sitting in a closet somewhere. But 41% of people confess that they've never read it. There's a lot of Bibles out there, guys. If there's four for the every average American family, we know there's 300 million people in the United States, over 300 million. There's a lot of Bibles out there. We've got to re-engage in the Word of God. We read about last week about how the children of Israel, how uh, they disobeyed God. They had been engaged in the Word, but um, they didn't do things the right way. And they ended up, uh, they ended up getting conquered and exiled into, into Babylon and all this. And God promised he'd bring them back after 70 years. The first group of them did come back after 70 years. The next group of them came back after about another 80 years after that. But what we know is that 150 years went by that God's people had not engaged in his word. So guys, they were absolutely dry and stagnant because they had not been able to engage in God's word. They were desperate. They were hungry. And we read last week where they come, they, all the, it says the whole nation, all the people come together and they called to Ezra and they said, Ezra, bring us the book of the Lord. And we know that Ezra opened the book. What did they all do as soon as he opened the book? It says they all stood up on their feet. And Ezra sees this and he begins to praise the Lord. And then everybody fell on their face before they ever read a word. He just opened the book. Everybody stood on their feet and then fell on their face in worship and praise of God. What happened after that? Okay, they wept. <laughs> Number one. Number one, they wept somewhere. I'm going to start weeping. <laughs> it's all right, Billy's on it. Number two, they shared a meal as a family and they discussed the word of God. And then number three, they applied the word that they had been told. Guys, here's what I closed with last week. All Israel had at this time, they're desperate, they're hungry for God's word. All they had was the law. All they had was, was the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they were that hungry for it. Guys, we've got the fulfillment of the law today. Our Bible is the fulfillment. We see the fulfillment of most all of the Old Testament prophecies. We've got Jesus. How much more excited about the Word of God should we be than the children of Israel were 2,500 years ago? What's that? The books are about to fall. My bad. Many of you know that we are about to start this in uh, three weeks from today. Two weeks from today is small group Sunday, our community group Sunday. Y'all be here for that. And then three weeks from today on February the 2nd, I believe, we are starting uh, in the story. And we're going to ask you each week, we're going to ask you to read chapter one, and it's going to cover first part of the Bible there. And it's what we're going to teach on on Sunday morning. But as we go through, um, we're believing that this isn't just going to give us head knowledge, but we're going to find where our story comes into contact with God's story. How many of you know this is your story. Now, it's not what you always see in your day-to-day -day life going on around you, but it intersects with this, and this ultimately will be your story as a follower of Jesus. Now, 
if some of you have started reading, some of you have jumped in already, and I, I wanted to point out one of the resources that, um, that we haven't really mentioned yet. And this is a book that is available. Like I say, guys, we're not making, we're not making a cent on these. We're giving them to you guys at cost and, and just trying to make it easy for you to get them. But I would recommend, if you can, to pick this book up. It's called The Heart of the Story. Some of you have gotten the study guide and different things will go along with it. But if you started, I know a couple of you told me you did, um, it talks about, at each chapter, through the 31 chapters, it talks about an upper story and a lower story. And it's something that we find all through the Word of God, and it's actually what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. We live in the lower story. We see life from a lower story perspective. And I'll explain to you what that means. No matter how hard we try, we can only see so far down the road ahead of us, right? We can only see so far. We can't see what's around the next bend. Holy Spirit can help us and prepare us, but we don't always know what's coming. Isn't it true? We're bound by time. So all we can really see is a little bit of what's ahead of us, and we can see what's behind us. But as human beings, our vision is very limited by ourselves. So we live in this lower story. And here's something I thought of a couple of days ago. Because of this, every decision that we make requires a certain amount of risk, requires a certain amount of faith, and a certain amount of trust in things that we can't see and don't have any control over. I'll say it again. Whether you're a Christian or you're a follower of Jesus or not, every decision that you make in life requires a certain amount of risk. It requires a certain amount of faith, and it requires a certain amount of trust in things that you cannot see and don't have control over. How many of you have been taken by surprise before? Something came, something came up that just almost knocked you over. Didn't see that coming. Happens all the time. So from the lower story point of view, it's about our individual lives mainly and the lives of our families and our loved ones. Life many times is too overwhelming um, to deal with much beyond our own space and our own concerns uh, uh, too much. Um, how many of you agree that we need to eat? It's part of the lower story. We need to eat. If you're already thinking about lunch, put it out of your mind for just a minute. We're not there yet. Okay? We need to eat. We want to experience love, don't we? We want a good job. We want to be able to pay the bills. We want to be healthy. We want to be happy. We want our children. We desperately want our children to grow up and to be successful and land on both feet and to serve the Lord with all their heart, all the days of their life. Amen? And the list goes on and on and on. This is our lower story perspective. It's as we see our life going on around us. Every, by the time we deal with everything going on in our life, there's only so much space left over for everything else. That's why we can't live somebody else's life for them. True? It's the lower story. It's life as we see it and experience it. But here's the crazy thing about the Bible, and this changes everything, really. There's two stories going on throughout the Word of God from the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation. There's two stories. Many times we see the lower story. We feel Joseph as he's had this dream and he's going through these trials and these different things. We feel what people are feeling in different moments, but really it's their lower story that we're looking at. But the Bible also tells an upper story um, from beginning to end. And the upper story is how God sees things from his perspective. Guys, he don't see like we do. Our view of the lower story 
is, like I said, it's horizontal. It's linear. It's limited. God's view is panoramic. God's view is, is vertical. God sees in an unlimited view. Our view is limited, like I said, by time, by past, present, and future. God's isn't. He looks down and he sees the beginning and the end at the same time. We can't even begin to comprehend. He can't, not only does he see what's around the next bend of your life on up ahead, he can intervene at any time that he wants to, any time that he feels necessary to keep you on track and, and on the path. He can jump in, he can control things, he can change things, and he does. How many of you can say amen? Thank you, Jesus, that he intervenes in our life, in our behalf. But God is weaving all of our lower stories into his upper story. Remember I told you about the, the, about the dream I had about seeing the world and seeing this confusion and this mess and all of a sudden seeing this red ribbon just being weaved right through the middle of it in a straight line and seeing God weaving his story right through, right through all the things that we don't understand, all the chaos. God's weaving his story and his plan through the midst of it all. And so he's weaving our story into his. We're going to start, um, if you have a Bible on you, you can turn to the book of Job. How many of you would say Job is your favorite book of the Bible? <laughs> Woo! Some good stuff there. Man. Actually, there really is. But uh, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say Job is my favorite character in the Bible. Man. Job's tough. It's a tough one. But we can learn a lot from the life of Job. And there's a couple things that I noticed right from the get-go. If you look right at the beginning of chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Job was a blameless man of complete integrity. How many of you would love for God to say that about you? That you are blameless and of complete integrity. Now, does this mean that Job was perfect? No, not at all. We know he made mistakes. But the Bible says that he was a blameless man of complete integrity. And we see in chapter 1, Job is living his life. He loves his kids. He's raised them to the best of his ability. He's got some wealth. He's got some businesses. He's probably reaching out to the poor and needy because he was a man of integrity and blameless. So most, much of what we see right in the beginning, right at the beginning of chapter 1 about Job is we see his lower story. When we see things from his perspective, we're seeing from his lower story. So we see tragedy hit his life, don't we? Right from the get-go, he is notified that all his flocks and everything are dead. His businesses, they've just all collapsed. He just lost basically everything. How many of you would say, bad day? Well, just minutes later, he gets word that some freak storm blows through. We can relate with that, right? But a house collapses on 10 of his children and kills them all. How many of you would say, really bad day? Man, that's a tough one. So he loses all 10 of his kids. So... For Job, in his lower story, even though these two instances happened right next to each other, they probably seem completely unrelated, right? They don't seem connected in any way. His livestock die, and then his children die in a storm. And we can only imagine where this leaves Job emotionally. To make matters worse, if you go on over to chapter 2, it says that Job's body ends up covered in sores. It says from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And by the end of chapter 2, it says that he sits down in the ashes, exhausted, 
and begins scraping his boils with broken pottery. Isn't that just a make you hungry for lunch right there? Man, good stuff. From a lower story point of view, Job's got a, he's at a fork in the road, and he's got to decide what to do at this point. How many of you have been at that fork in the road where it seems like nothing went right? It seemed like everything was against you in a moment, and you stood there at a fork in the road, and you had to make a decision. What will I do? Where will I go? Who will I serve? This is where we find Job. He has to make a choice. Now, Job's wife, if you remember her, her point of view, she assumed all this tragedy had to come from the hand of God. And so she says to her husband, um, she says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Men, have any of your wives ever told you to die? I hope not. Hope not. Hope not. But understand, Job's wife thinks, all these things coming, they've got to be coming from a hand of a God. And he can't be a good God. So why don't you just give up on him? Why don't you just go ahead and curse him and take your own life? We know that Job also had three good friends. They were lovely. They came along. And they concluded that all of this tragedy had to be Job's fault in the first place. So... They basically just say, Job, you're guilty. You've sinned. God is just. What you need to do is not curse God, but you just, you just need to repent, and all this will go away. I believe if there was an atheist in the story, the atheist would have said, see, I told you there's not a God, because how could a loving God allow such terrible things to happen to a person? How, many, how often do we hear that today? Job, your life stinks. Deal with it. How many of you know Job is one of the few places where we see very clearly an upper story going on in the midst of the lower story? It jumps to God's perspective. And let me say this. Guys, this is not a study on the book of Job. Okay? And you probably have questions about the book of Job. I have some questions about the book of Job. Anybody else here agree? There's some things I don't understand about the book of Job. Um, but we know that God is a good God. And we know that in chapter 3, you see that it says that Job says that that which he greatly feared came upon him. And so believe that Job opened up the door to some things in his life that God allowed. Because he may have been a blameless man of integrity, but he also obviously was full of fear as well. So you may have questions about the book of Job, but that can be studied at another time. But I want you to look at the upper story for just a moment. So we're actually told what's going on in the heavenlies at the same time. We see the upper story going on. So Satan decides, he comes along and he decides that he's going to use Job to prove that people would not follow God if he wasn't protecting them and blessing them. And so we know that God allows Satan to bring a certain level of tragedy to Job's life, but he doesn't let him touch Job's body. What happens? We know that Job maintains his integrity. He maintains his commitment to God. So in, it goes back to the upper story. And in the upper story, Satan's a bit frustrated. 
And so he decides it's time to take it to the next level. And God ends up allowing him to touch Job's body to a certain degree and allows these boils to form on, uh, on his body, these painful boils. And so we know that once again, Job maintains his commitment to God and he does it through the entire ordeal. He questioned God, but he never cursed him. And we know that even though his wife told him to curse God, he said in chapter 2, uh, verse 10, he said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Now guys, Job didn't understand what was going on. And I don't believe he understood the heart of God, but his heart was right. Because it says in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He maintained his integrity. Tough story, yeah? But let's look at how Job's story ends. If you jump to chapter 42, verses 12 through 17. Chapter 42, verse 12 through 17. It says, And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima. <laughs> Jemima, I don't know. The second, Keziah, and the third, Karin Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. Guys, that was unheard of. And after this, Job lived 140 more years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. What a blessing. Amen? How many of you can agree Job went through some trials? Tragedy that especially no parent ever wants to have to go through. But we know that he kept standing firm. He kept his commitment to the Lord. And we see that his latter days were blessed more than the former. There's always an upper and a lower story. There's always something going on. Whenever we read in God's word, whatever is going on in your life, there is always an upper and a lower story. God is weaving something. Doesn't mean that he's bringing trouble on your life. I'm not saying that at all. I don't believe that God makes you sick. I don't believe that he's the one that brings you trials, but he can use those things to weave a beautiful story in your life. I was thinking about Abraham. Abraham was old when he was promised a child, wasn't he? He was told that he would be the father of many nations. And I can only imagine thinking how Abraham would be blown away if he had understood what God meant when he said, you'll be the father of many nations. I believe it would have shaken Abraham to know that he was going to give birth to a nation and ultimately he would, through his line would come the savior of the world. Talk about an upper story. All he knew is that he, his wife was going to get pregnant when they were old and something about the father of many nations. But we now serve Jesus because of Father Abraham. Father Abe, sorry. Abraham may have said, but I'm old. Guys, that's a lower story perspective. We've got to begin to look at an upper story perspective. I was thinking about, as I said earlier, about Joseph. Joseph had a dream. And how many of you agree he was probably sitting in a prison cell wondering why he's going through all these years of suffering? Why in the world is this stuff happening 
to me. But we never see him in Scripture lose hope. We never see him turn his back on the Lord. He stays firm. And God would ultimately use him to save a nation, to save the nation and many more. He might have been saying, but I've got a dream. Why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? It's a lower story perspective. Many times in the lower story in the Bible, we get a glimpse of the upper story. How many of you remember Daniel? In, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is praying and he's interceding. And he's crying out to God and weeks go by that he hasn't gotten an answer. How many of you have ever been there before where you stopped and said, Lord, are you hearing me? Are you, are you there? Are you hearing my prayers? He prays for weeks before suddenly he intersects with the upper story. And an angel appears to him and tells him, Daniel, your prayers have been heard since day one. And said, but we've been fighting demonic forces on your behalf to get here. His story intersected with the upper story. We can't lose hope in a moment when we don't understand what's going on. We've got to stand firm. You know, a couple weeks ago, right at uh, our Christmas service, I was, we talked about the, the shepherds. Imagine those shepherds sitting on a hillside. Can you imagine some of those shepherds had to be doggone tired of shepherding? Sitting out there living with these stinky animals, uh, hot nights and cold nights, sleeping outside, the smell of poo everywhere. Man, had to be tired sometimes of shepherding. But let me tell you, they were in the right place at the right time. Because suddenly their story, their lower story of being there taking care of them stupid sheep intersected with God's upper story. And they would meet the Christ child. I wish I knew the rest of the story and what happened to the shepherds. I mean, your life changes once you meet Jesus. They may have met him as a baby. I'll bet you their life changed forever. I, I wonder if some of them were counted in the upper room. I just wonder. It's possible. As we begin this 31-week series together through the Bible, I want to be careful along the way, and I want to, each of the 31 weeks, I want to be careful to point out the upper story and the lower story each time to uh, disciple us and to teach us the importance of living according to God's Word, not by what we see or what we hear or what we feel. How many of you know that feelings are fickle? We feel all kinds of stupid stuff. We've got to trust God's word, not by some emotional thought that passes through our head because something happened to us, not because we think something's not fair. We need to stand and to trust God no matter what. I'm going to give you three things right quick. And in your service guide, you should have gotten a note sheet. Some of you may already be following along on that. You can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. But I'm going to give you three things, and I've already mentioned the first one. Number one, there are two stories in this life, an upper story and a lower story. There are two stories in this life, an upper story and the lower story. Guys, in the lower story, you're just trying to make the best decisions you can in life. You're just taking a step day by day. You're, you're walking forward. Like Job and like the other characters of the Bible, like I said a few minutes ago, we can't always see around the next bend in front of us. We can't control what's around the next bend no matter how hard we try. So what do we do? We've got to be like Job. We've got to be like Joseph. We've got to be like these characters we're talking about and not lose hope. We've got to look up and we've got to allow ourselves to trust God and trust that he is weaving our lower story into, an, into his upper story because we refuse to bow to those circumstances of those things in this life. Amen? 
You hearing what I'm saying this morning? So number one, there's two stories in your life, an upper story and a lower story. Number two, this is it. Our goal is to align our story to God's story. Our goal is to align our story to God's story. A couple of scriptures. Y'all know this, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, for my faults are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. How many of you have come to that realization by now? Big God, little me. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Thank goodness. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have got to align our story with God. This Christian life is about alignment. Who do you want to align with? A lot of people align their life after some celebrity or after some other path in life. Guys, I want to align with God, and I hope that you do too. Jesus made it clear. He actually, if we look at the, at the Lord's Prayer, uh, Matthew 6, 9 and 10, Jesus said, this is how you should start a prayer. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, y'all say it, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all get that? On earth, everybody say lower story, as it is in heaven, upper story. You got it? We're to align our story with God's. We're basically saying, God, I want to align my lower story with your upper story. Whatever your will is, I want it to be my will here on earth. I want it to be my will here in this life. Whatever it is. Guys, that's the secret to a successful life in God. That's the secret to a successful life in Christ. And then Paul goes on to give us a promise. And guys, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and it is for much of the church, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the what? For the good. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Does this mean that everything's going to go smoothly for you? No, it doesn't but it means that he can work it together for the good. It doesn't mean everything's going to go smoothly. Remember this. In order to accomplish God's will, Jesus had to go to the cross, didn't he? In order for Paul to accomplish what God had for his life, he had to walk through some serious trials in his life. He's not promising that trouble goes away. And that leads us to number three. If we align our story to God's upper story, he promises it will be a great story. If we align our lower story with God's upper story, he promises it'll be a great story. How many of you want your life to be a great story? God promises he'll do it. In Romans 8, 28, all things will work together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we want to be a part of this great story. And God promises it, but guys, this is one of God's promises that has conditions on it. As Christians, we love to quote, well, brother, all things work together for my good. Well, yes, if you love him, meaning you make him top priority in your life, he is number one, not other stuff, not other things, not other people. And called according to his purpose. Guys, I just view this as being aligned with his purpose. 
So yes, all things will work together for your good if you'll love them and align your life with them. What does this mean practically? What does this mean for us? We love the first part, but what about the conditions? Guys, we have to have a consistent prayer life and consistent, consistently read the Word of God. You have to proactively seek God's will for your life every day, not just when you run into trouble. If you aren't praying, or if you're one of those people that says, well, I don't, I don't, like, I, I don't like to read. I, I don't like to read. Well then, guys, you're not aligning with God's upper story if you're not getting his word and you're not spending time in prayer. You're not getting it. You're not aligning with it. You get this? And so it's possible that all things may not always work together for your good. I'm not trying to be heavy. I'm just trying to be real. You with me? Guys, being involved in the body of Christ, it's not optional. The latest stat I read was the average church attender in the United States attends church 1.5 times per month. 1.5 times. Does anybody agree that that's not enough? That's not enough being with the family of God. If you're not engaging in community with other believers, then you're not aligning with his upper story. He commands that. You're basically saying, Lord, I don't, I don't need you to write the good story for my life. I know what's best. Because this promise won't always be applied to your life. If you look at your credit card bill or your checkbook, and there's no money going to fund the cause of Christ, but instead you're using it to buy all those things that you want, guess what? You're not aligning with their upper story. If you're not tangibly serving others, helping others in some way to build God's kingdom, but your calendar is consumed with stuff with your own needs and your own wants and your own desires, you're not aligning with the upper story. And the promise won't always be applied to your life. Does this make sense? But if you will take God seriously and align your story with his story, he will take every part of your life even the part where maybe your family threw you under the bus or that part of your story where you got sick or that part of the story where you got fired, he'll weave it into his upper story and he'll make something beautiful from it. What a good God we serve. Do y'all believe it? Yes. We have to get back to the word of God. And this is where we find the upper story that God has been writing since the beginning of time. Some of you, um, I don't know if any of you watched online this week, but, um, but uh, Gateway Church did their, their Gateway First Conference this week. And Jimmy Evans spoke, and I saw a couple of clips of it. And Jimmy Evans said, the Word of God is the most powerful force in the universe. All of God's blessings reside in His Word. People who obey the Word of God are blessed. Guys, He's given us his word, and he gives us his word on his word, okay? He's never gone back on it, not one time, not once. As we go through the scriptures, we're going to see it over and over again. What God did in the Bible, he'll do for you. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. We need to get in to the word of God. How many of you, I just, 
Before I close, how many of you would say that you're at a place in your life where you can look back and you can see moments where your lower story intersected with God's upper story? You saw God intervene on your life. You saw him make himself known and real in a powerful way. Guys, that was two-thirds, three-quarters of this room. What a testimony. If God will do it for them, he'll do it for you. He can take your lower story, regardless of how broken and dilapidated it may look, and if you will trust him and stand on his word, he will make something beautiful and great of it that you can't ever begin to imagine. We can't lose hope. We've got to stand firm. What an amazing promise. If we simply look up and dare to align our lives with God's, he promises to write a good story with our life. Amen? Amen. Guys, I want to remind you, we got three more weeks. Three weeks from today, we are starting the story. And we are going to go through for 31 weeks. The whole Bible is broken down into 31 chapters in this Bible, an abridged Bible. It is in the NIV version. We're going to go through, and each week we're going to ask you to read from God's Word. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to discuss that chapter and see what the Lord would have us speak. So we gave you, last week I gave you four ways to engage in this experience. And this is what we're going to do with the story. We're going to engage with God's Word through His Word, through our time, and through prayer. So I gave you four things last week. Number one was our personal life. We're going to ask each week that you read the chapter in the story before you arrive at church. And that assignment, as I told you last week, is for everybody in the family. Maybe you've got young kids. We've got the Bible in pictures in 31 chapters for your real small children, for you to go through with them. We've got, we've got the story for young elementary kids. That's just, um, this is the one that you guys may have seen a couple weeks ago for a Christmas service that we read from. Uh, it just has a little bit more text in it. You can read it to your kids. We've got this one that is for older elementary kids for you to go through with them. And then we've got the, um, the story for students. This is for, uh, for teenagers and young adults. You can get that for, for them to go through. And then obviously we've got the storybook for adults. And we encourage everybody every week to go through that. How awesome for us to be literally on the same page for a good part of the year this year. All age groups um, regardless. So one is in your personal life. Number two way to engage is in your home life. And guys, this is an opportunity for family to gather together. Got parents, we encourage you, get the book for your children and read it to them. Most Christian families have never sat and read the Word of God with their children. Take the time. It'll probably take you 15 minutes to sit down each week and read and engage in God's Word with your children. And it will change their life. Some of them are at pivotal points, and God will come in and he will touch their life just because you took the time to stop and to share God's word for, with them. And I told you also, we're encouraging you to at least once a week share a, family, share a meal as a family. How many of you, I asked last week, how many of you still try to at least once a week share a meal together with most of your family? A few, yeah. Guys, how many of you would agree there is something powerful with sharing a meal together? And so what I told you we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to start a Facebook page uh, called Harvest Meals Together, and we're going to ask you once a week to take a, take a picture, take a selfie of your family all sitting at the table together, and we want you to ask at least one question from the story reading that week. How many of you can take a selfie? Yep, that's how you do it. Need a long arm. You can get a selfie stick if you want to. 
where we're going to ask you to share a meal together. So how do we want you to engage in the story? We want you to engage in your personal life through your own reading, through your home life, with your family. Thirdly, in your community life. Guys, we say this every uh, twice a year. Get involved in a community group. We have all, this, this past semester, we had more community groups than Harvest has ever had before. There are all kinds of places for you to go and to engage once a week, to engage in God's word with other believers. Join a community group at Harvest. Get involved in a community of believers for encouragement and accountability. Some of our small groups, some of our community groups will be uh, specifically discussing the story. Others will be discussing more specific parts in God's word. Doesn't matter. Join a community group. And we'll be talking about that two weeks from today. Everybody needs to be part of a community. And then lastly, number four way to engage is through our weekend services. Guys, especially members of Harvest, please make an effort to be at church more than 1.5. However, I don't know how you do that. Cut yourself in half. I, I don't know. Please make an effort to be at church more than 1.5 times a month. We need each other. I need you. The person next to you needs you. Be at church on Sunday mornings. And when you, we do this, we're going to discuss a chapter from the story. The children are going to be in their classes discussing the same chapter from the story. On Sunday night, our youth group is going to be discussing the same chapter from the story. Our community groups are going to be discussing the same chapter from the story. Guys, we're going to be literally on the same page in God's Word going through together. And I believe it is going to bring a hunger that we have never known. And it's going to bring a unity to this family that we've never known. Amen? So we believe if you engage in these four environments and you make the commitment to do this for the next 31 weeks, just like we saw the Israelites last week, you will experience joy and fulfillment like you never have. We'll draw closer to the Lord than ever before. February 2nd, we're going to start digging in. So we're going to ask you on your way out, if you're part of Harvest or you just, maybe you're not even a part of Harvest, maybe you're even visiting from out of town, I encourage you still get the book and begin to engage in God's word. Amen. Let's all stand on our feet together as the worship team comes up. I just want everybody to bow their heads as we close. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything we need to be equipped for this life. You have given us the word of God, the most powerful thing in the universe. Lord, we thank you for it and we stand on it. We thank you for the season that we're coming up on as, as a church family. And Lord, we're believing that it is going to be powerful because your word is always sharp and powerful. We believe, Lord, that it is going to pierce our hearts and it's going to bring lasting change. And Lord, we just pray for a hunger for God's word like we have never experienced in our entire lives. That we won't be able to get away from it. We won't be able to escape it. We're going to dig into God's word and we're going to allow it to saturate our beings. Lord, that your word will truly be written on the tablets of our hearts. We thank you, Lord for your word. With every head bowed. Guys, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, every person has a lower story. You're walking through things in this life right now and you're seeing things from your own perspective. But if you're here today and you would say, you know what? My life I don't see my life being woven into that upper story that you're talking about. I don't see God working all things together for, for my good. All I'm seeing is problems and consequences and tough times. If you're here and you would say, you know what? I need Jesus. 
And this is your moment. This is your opportunity, your chance to make a change that will not just change your life here on earth, but it will change you for all eternity. You will never be the same. I want you to understand, I'm not talking about whether you've prayed a prayer in church before or not, asking Jesus into your heart. I would ask you right now, is your life surrendered to Jesus? Do you carry the posture with your life that you know what, God, I'm surrendered to you and I'm gonna live your will for my life and I, I, I do want your will as it is in heaven. I want that to be my will here on earth and I wanna walk with you all the days of my life and into eternity. If that's you and you would say, you know what? I need to surrender. With every head bowed, I just want you to lift your hand and say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Who in here? Yes, who else would say, I need to surrender today? Come on, guys, I feel like there's a couple more. I feel like there's a few more. Don't wait. Don't wait. Anybody else? I need to surrender to Jesus today. All right. You can put your hands down. Guys, whether you raise your hand or not, we're going to pray. And the Bible says that it's not so much about the prayer, it's about the posture and position of your heart. And it's whether you mean these words with all of your heart. If you mean them, the Bible says that you become a new creation, that old things have passed away, and all things become new. Doesn't mean that every problem goes away like I was talking about, but it means that now you've got the creator of the universe walking with you, and he's not gonna let you fall. He's got you. And it means when you close your eyes, Take your last breath and close your eyes on this life. You're going to open your eyes and you're going to see the shining face of Jesus in front of you. What a promise. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I've tried to live this life without him. And I'm a miserable failure. I've thought that I knew what was best. But I was nothing but wrong. Jesus, I thank you for coming living my life, taking my sin and shame, dying my death, taking my judgment and my shame, taking it to the grave. But I thank you, you lived a sinless life and death couldn't hold you. And on the third day, you rose again. And today you stand at the right hand of the Father as my high priest, as my advocate, with your blood on that mercy seat. And when the devil calls me guilty, you say, no, they're clean. Lord, I thank you that you've saturated me with your blood and I can stand boldly before your throne of grace. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to do everything that you've called me to do. I will follow you all the days of my life. I won't look to the left or the right, but I'll follow you to the end. I will stand firm. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 
383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner again forever.